It's Thursday, January 17th, 2019, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 250, Gotta Find Them Dragon Balls. Runtime for this episode is one hour, three minutes. And welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast that hasn't played Monster Hunter in, I don't know, three months. My name is Jeremy. Are we Monster Hunters Anonymous now? Um, because that is a group I don't think I need to join. I'm Tyler. That game was a lot of fun, but it was also one of those games where I just like, I hit a wall and was like, I'm done. My name is Zach. Although they're releasing new DLC, which I assume is why you brought it up. They have been consistent. No, I know why you brought it up. I'm pretty sure. But like, they've been consistently releasing DLC since it came out. The Bahamut. Bahamut? The <laughs> <laughs> Final Fantasy crossover is live now, according to Steam. So, gotcha. Oh, I thought you were mentioning it because monsters are in the game we play. Oh, that's absolutely why I mentioned it. But it could be more than one reason. <laughs> one of the guys I work with, apparently, way back when, used to get on a popular Monster Hunter streamer's YouTube channel. The guy was apparently very British, but like he watched him forever, kind of like Zach did with that one uh, MechWarrior Online guy. Watch him forever. Still watch him. Well, yeah, and then dropped into a stream with him. And then he just started playing with him regularly, so he was actually part of his regular crew for a long time. And this guy, even before he met this person, has a long, long history collecting just random mobile game devices. And just like he has an entire library wall of just various iterations of like Game Boy Advances and like PS Vitas and like all these collector edition things. Mostly. To fuel his undying love of Monster Hunter. So he's played, like, every single Monster Hunter game that's ever come out just, like, obsessively on, like, five million different varieties of wow. console to play. Yeah, it's just, like, that's his jam. What's weird is he finds time for other games, He bought too, a so. PS Vita? Yeah, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually, he was telling me, like, about his collection. Um, I, I made the poor choice, I think I was walking back from, like, the one time I played uh, Smash at work. And I was walking back to my desk, holding my Switch. And he's like, oh, you have a Switch. Tyler, I didn't know you liked video games. I'm like, what about me ever <laughs> implies you that I do not like video games? Like, I feel like this is a pretty standard assumption. I'm wearing a Zelda hoodie right now as we're talking. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> Maybe you just like green. And triangles. Triangles are very good as um, far as shapes are go. So this ended up with us, like, chatting about, like, Monster Hunter and Monster Hunter paraphernalia for, like, 45 minutes, which was amusing but mostly what came out of this is i need to remember to go look up at some point a random video of him playing monster hunter with people because apparently he was that asshole um in every game they played so he, he was the ed of their group so speaking of the ed of our group zach what have you been playing this week this two weeks i guess hey since we're now bi-weekly hey hey i am not the ed i never turn on my teammates have you ever you just actually redefine your alliances whenever it suits you? <laughs> Have you ever seen me shoot a teammate in the back? Yes. I really wanted to play diplomacy with Zach sometime. <laughs> when did I do that? When we were playing Halo. And that's vague enough. It's probably true. Hey, to be fair, I have killed myself in Halo with a shotgun. I what? How? Very carefully. Like recoil? Like you blasted yourself off an edge? So How what you happened even do that? was like I was strafing. And one of those Covenant shield things 
popped up right in front of me right when I fired. <laughs> and so I hit that with the shotgun blast and it hit and it bounces off of it and hit me. That'll do it. It was really funny. I, I kind of wish I had a uh, like, like a recorder a or something like that because that was just like encapsulating total failure. It was like, oh, I do suck at this. But I haven't been playing Halo for a long time. For quite a while. I still really like reaching all those. I just don't usually boot them up because I've got other things that I can do. You've also, I feel like you've played far fewer shooters in recent history and have like started playing a lot more like just other stuff. Maybe it's because there's a proliferation of other stuff. <laughs> I mean, I was playing a little bit of Battlefield. I mean, he did buy both Battlefield and COD this year. This That's is an fair. outlier year, but... And why many people sing the praises of the recent Doom reboot, Zach is definitely among the chorus. That's fair. I have actually played the most recent Wolfenstein and Wolfenstein 2. Not through to completion, but I have played them. And I also have beaten Titanfall 2. So I have still played quite a few shooters. It's just they're no longer on like, the top of the list of stuff I play all the time. So this brings something up. A lot of people were really excited for Titanfall. And like I was kind of excited about its mechanics. I feel like it fizzled really fast. It did. It's one of the reasons why I'm not excited about anything anymore. Do you have any idea why it fizzled so fast? Did it just entirely fan base? It, partly because of uh, the way it launched, I'm assuming, and as well as like not having a campaign kind of hurt it because you know everybody still wants to have single player, so fewer people bought it. Call of Duty, I think, if I remember, it launched very shortly afterwards, and when it first launched, it was PC and Xbox One exclusive. I think it has more to do with it straddling the new console launch. Okay. I think that divided its player base for Titanfall 1. And when they released Titanfall 2, they tried to recapture that, but they'd already kind of failed too much. And that was a era where lots of, air quotes, innovative shooters were coming up, trying to compete with Call of Duty. You have Evolve at around the same time. You have Doom, which actually did pretty well. But you have a lot of people trying to strike at the Call of Duty throne because the opinion among the game's journalism was Call of Duty was stagnating and not very good. But if you look at sales, it wasn't really stagnating at all. So I think a lot of people thought Call of Duty was at a weak point and they could take the throne from it, but it wasn't really. And Doom, even though they had a multiplayer component, the main thing for Doom was its single player. Yeah, I was going to say Whereas, multiplayer Doom has never been great. Well, that's how it tried to fight, fight me. Uh, the Doom, that's how I feel Doom tried to compete with Call of Duty, was by focusing on the single player experience. Whereas Titanfall was taking kill streaks and ideas from Call of Duty and amplifying them. Because Call of Duty kill streaks have gotten a little bit silly. They've gotten very mechanical. To be fair, a lot of them have always been silly. Um, I just I remember when I played Titanfall 1, like one of the first times out, I I got my Titan died very shortly afterwards and was running around and had the thing come find me. <laughs> and like so I just see this Titan running down the street at me and going, Oh god, I'm gonna die, and then it just stops and is like, hello. Oh, that's mine. Okay. But uh, I haven't played Titanfall or anything like that. I actually played a lot of Battletech, like just an absolute ton of Battletech. I might say a hundred tons worth of Battletech. Yeah. I can make crappy puns too. I beat the career mode that I've been playing. Once you finish the thousand days that it gives you like for to get a score, it goes into an endless mode. Okay. That's fun. And one of the things that I found out just because, you know, I'm that kind of nerd, I was looking at uh, comparisons for achievements because I was also curious to know, you know, how many people have, you know, this number of achievements? Uh, I'm part of 0.5% of the people who own Battletech on Steam who has completed a career mode and part of only 0.2% that have done it on Iron Man. Although that requires an expansion, right? Do career? You, yeah. No. Oh, no, I'm getting career and 
campaign mixed up, I guess. Career or, and campaign are both in the base game as of, like career was added in, a, in an update at the same time. Okay, as but you don't expansion. need the expansion to do it. Okay. Right. But okay. you need to have been playing the game eight months after launch to get it. So that makes sense. It is probably only people who really, really like that game or who like saw the expansion was out and like, I bought that on sale. I should go <laughs> play that now. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I picked it up was I saw Flashpoint was coming out. The expansion was like, oh, I love that game and went back to it. And then like just recently, in part because of the Iron Man mode, the the challenge was there. And so I was having a lot of fun with it. So I played the hell out of that. I did a mission for Morgan Kell, who's a name you won't either of you will recognize. It seems like I should know it. He's a big <laughs> figure in Battletech. And man, was that not worth it. I lost all the pulse lasers I'd equipped on a mech. I lost a whole bunch of double heat sinks. Fortunately, the most valuable piece of equipment that I had on any of my mechs didn't get destroyed, despite the fact that I only had one of them left. And that was the Gauss ammo on board my Highlander. <laughs> I have a spare Gauss rifle. I do not have spare Gauss ammo. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it really rare to come across? Yeah. Okay. Because it's lost tech. So, like, they can't build more of them, technically, so it's really hard to find them. Same with the pulse lasers. It's why I was so salty over them being destroyed. Are you likely to continue your career now that you've finished it? Do you want to go endless, or are you more likely to start a new career, or more likely to just abandon the mode? I actually have been continuing my career mode. Like, the job from Morgan Kell was actually after the uh, timer had gone over. So I was continuing to do that. And that's partly because, like, I don't have nine assault mechs. I have like six and they're not always the best choice, especially because if they get damaged, they're expensive to fix. Why nine? Hmm? Why did you pull the number nine out? I was just guessing. I don't, I was trying to do math in my head. Why would you want nine assault mechs then? Um, I'm trying to, I like, I don't understand what the relevance of that. Well, in flash, in flash points, um, some of them have consecutive deployments, so you can't fix your mechs in between missions. Okay. So you might want additional ones for that, so you can just have them on rotation. Just in case they're damaged to the point where you need to repair them, so you can actually deploy something that's at full strength. Gotcha. Okay. Because I've actually also been playing Battletech. That's I the saw main that. thing I've been playing this week. And I have a lot of frustrations with it. I was actually hoping Zach wouldn't talk about it, so I could just talk <laughs> about it in my segment and not take this over. But one of this... Th- but one of them is I really wish there was a way to, as an advancement, field more than four mechs. Because four is fine as a number, but the fact that you start being able to field four and at the end of the game you'll only be able to field four feels really limiting to me. Especially since as I go into more story missions, it's more and more where I'm outnumbered. That is actually a constant complaint I've seen of a lot of people. I never got that feeling, but that's because from the very beginning the game was going to be designed at a lance level. So you were never going to field more than four mechs. There wasn't even a Kickstarter goal to up the number. It's just it was always going to be four. Yeah, but it just feels really limiting to me that I can't go for more, especially since, like I said, most missions I'm facing more than four targets. And that's fine as a challenge, but I don't like that I'm always outnumbered, basically. And again, a lot of the upgrades that exist in the game don't interest me. And that's something that would have been cool, being able to play a fifth or sixth mech, even if there were restrictions on making it have to be light. Because another problem I have and this is a much lesser problem with the game, is that heavier mechs are almost always clearly superior. I assume in tabletop Battletech, you have a build total of tonnage. Uh, It's not usually tonnage. It's usually battle value. Okay. I assume lighter mechs are worth less battle value. That depends. Yeah, I'm sure it does, but there are, I can see situations where lighter mechs... You want a light mech. Yeah, I can understand why in that game you would field light mechs. 
well, in, in a the, way that I kind of don't in this game. In the multiplayer, it's actually balanced because there's a uh, they balance by C bills, but it's very similar. Like light mechs cost less C bills. And one of the reasons why you might want to field light mechs are for convoy ambushes because they the convoys can get away. And as well as... Um, That's why I said almost always superior, but it is a thing where I feel like the advancement the game is trying to make you feel is getting heavier mechs. Have you gotten the Argo yet? Yes. Okay. That stuff doesn't interest me. I don't feel like I need 16 mech warriors. Uh, the extra mech space is cool, but since it also costs me extra money, it's... Well, one of the main upgrades that you get is that is it takes less time to repair things. Yeah, and I've or refit things. I've been investing in that, but like that doesn't interest me because the monthly maintenance is low enough and I'm conservative enough with my money that I can just wait 60 days if I have to. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely understand where he's coming from. It's just that's one of those little things that it, it didn't bother me cuz I I knew what I was getting into from the beginning. What and those upgrades are interesting to me, especially the one where it gives you the additional power for getting to and from jump points. Yeah, and like some of it's cool. It's a cool system, but none of them are literally like, oh, I really want that. I want to work to try to get that. The thing I really want is a catapult, but there's no way for me to influence getting a catapult because when I'm taking missions, I can't even see. These are the mechs they're likely to field to like up my salvage. If I see, they'll probably have a catapult. You might be able to find one of them for purchase. Yeah, I haven't yet. And that wouldn't surprise me. I've only seen one heavy mech for purchase thus far. So, And it's probably like a quick draw or something. There's a dragon. Dragon. The game is fun for the most part on an individual tactics level when I'm playing the game. I was going to ask. But when I play the meta game on the outside of it, I feel like there's no goal I have other than kind of finishing the story. But I think the story is bad, not in a, oh, this is awful way, but in the way of when we're talking about the assignments, I almost always say video game stories are bad. This one is included. <laughs> no, he, he's not wrong because it's very generic. The bad guys are kind of stupidly evil. For, like, no really good reason. Um, and your characters... Well, your characters basically non-existent, though they did add in a few things. Like, you do pick some responses in certain instances. It's very Mass Effect-inspired, but because your choices don't matter at all, gotcha. you lose the benefits of having... Hey, just Mass like Mass Effect. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was Mass gonna Effect make that at joke too. <laughs> makes a good job of pretending your choices matter. You can talk Sarah into killing himself in Mass Effect. I like the idea of mech warriors being expendable, and therefore they're not really characters. But as a result, there are no interesting characters in the story, so... Meets cheap, metal's not. Yeah. So when a story mission comes up, I'm like, I guess I better do this. It's got pretty major Final Fantasy VII pro a meteor is coming problem, and that you can just put off the story missions forever, even though some of them are like, oh, we're just barely holding out. We need you to take out this point so that we can win I'll see the you in day. A I'll see you in a couple months. Yeah, it's like, well, I, I need to make some more money, so... So one of the things that I was wanting to to ask is how friendly do you think this game is to a newcomer? Because you're much closer oh, to that than I am. I was going to get into that next. Not very friendly. Back to Tyler's point about the individual combats being fun. They are for the most part. A lot of it feels like I'm just moving my mech and pointing it at a thing and saying, hope this works. <laughs> um, because while there's a lot of information, there's not nearly enough. For example, the tutorial tells you, hey, the more you move, the more evasion charges you get, you'll, you'll get the harder you'll be to hit. But it doesn't tell you how many you get when you move. It doesn't tell you how much an evasion charge helps you. I also found out because one of the pilot abilities I can get is plus one max evasion charge. So I'm like, oh, there's a max? I wonder what that is. Because I don't know. And it's just, it gives me a to hit number when I attack. And it gives me a damage number. 
but neither of those are very helpful because the to hit accuracy, I have no idea what affects it. So I have no idea what I should be doing differently to improve my chance of hitting. And the damage number, I have no idea how much... I can see, okay, this will do 40 damage, but be, I have no idea what 40 damage means. <laughs> and part of this is the inherent complexity of Mech Warrior that, or I guess of Battletech, that mechs are not walking HP bars. All of their parts have hit points, and I don't know that I'd want them to take that away, but there's no way, I feel, for me to tell, okay, that part has this much HP, so I'm hoping I hit that part. I'm just, when I attack, it's just like, I hope this does something good. <laughs> you can click on the individual portions to see how much armor's left. Yeah, well, I, you can see, like, the readout. Like, it, it turns, like, orange and then is gone, but... Well, if it, once it turns orange, it's actually internal. Um, I mean, like, you can literally, when you click on the paper doll, you can actually click on each individual portion to see how much health like it has left. I feel like the paper doll only comes up when you do a precision attack. Well, I know, like, you can actually, when you're looking at them, when it's at the top... You can click on the individual points to see, like, where is whatever you're trying. If Where's its guns and, like, how much HP is left in each But what part am portion? I going to hit? Um, good question. <laughs> yeah, well, and, like, I just don't know. It feels like my choices don't actually matter because I don't know enough about each one I'm making. So I'm like, I guess I, that thing has a PPC, so I guess I want to take that out first. Okay, that thing's weapons are down. So I, I feel like my choices are kind of important, but I feel like I don't have enough data to actually make meaningful choices, which is fine on the missions where I outgun the enemy team and I can just go through. But I just did two missions in a row that have really soured me on the game. The first one was the first escort mission I did. And the problem with that wasn't the uh, mission itself. That all went fine. The problem is apparently things you're escorting only move if you're within two hexes of them. <laughs> which is a fine mechanic. The game does not tell you that. So I was waiting at the destination point, like, why won't these things move? I've killed every enemy mech. There's huh, I've not encountered that. I've done a few escort missions. Maybe it's a little bit different. I had one that I thought had bugged out because it was just sitting there, and I didn't, like, it was sitting next to a bunch of mechs. I literally lost 15 minutes just trying to get these things to move. Until um, you just walked over to them, basically? No, I... I finally went on a forum and like, sometimes it's a bug. It just happens. And then like the final response in the thread was actually things will only move if you're into hexes of them. I'm like, <laughs> well, one of them just randomly started moving in the middle of it. So it, maybe I was close to it. It's worth a try. And that finished it. And it's also, I find it really frustrating to like have ally turns where all it is is six vehicles are moving and you can't really skip it. You can speed it up a little bit, but I found that very frustrating. And then I did a story mission in which I barely survived, which is fine. But again, it felt like I was way outnumbered. And because I wasn't sure like how to affect the tactics enough, I wasn't sure if I was playing poorly, if I hadn't done enough contract missions to have a... Which one was that? It's the one where you have to destroy the radio tower before it calls reinforcements in. And the you, one where you, you can get the turrets? turrets? Yes. What mechs did you field on that? I had a Vindicator that I've modified a little bit so it has two PPCs. That was the only thing that survived because uh, it was sitting in the back. I had So you say the valuable stuff, the PPCs. Yes. <laughs> Not on a Vindicator. What would you put on a Vindicator? Huh? I don't usually mess with a Vindicator. I'm just saying that if you're talking about valuable equipment, a Vindicator is not usually very valuable. <laughs> no, the PPCs are valuable. Only if they're plus plus. Yeah, PPCs, I, I have plenty of PPCs. No, not plenty, but... I could have survived the loose PPCs. I lost my AC-10, and that was the valuable uh, piece of equipment I had. I had the Centurion that you get. I had I had it stock, so I had found an AC-10. That got killed in one hit. I had an LRM explosion, uh, or a oof. SRM explosion ammo. Just took the cockpit out, and the pilot died. Oh, did you have him sitting on his ammo? I don't... Well, I, it was the stock configuration, so... 
I didn't think the stock configuration on that had his LRM ammo in his head. Well, apparently. Hmm. Or maybe I accidentally put it in the head and it's supposed to be chest. I suppose that's possible, but... <laughs> well, if it was the center torso, it wouldn't have done a whole lot better. Well, it was center torso, because the center torso exploded. When I went to salvage the mech, it was just the center torso was gone. Everything else was pristine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't put ammo in the center torso. Uh, well, I just did what the stock configuration was, so... Some of the, I, I think that's actually how it is when it initially released, because most of them are pretty good. There was one really, really weird one, the Highlander. Its stock configuration in the game had two of its jump jets in its arms. Which do nothing. Which is <laughs> an illegal, which is illegal as, uh, according to Battletech construction rules, jump jets have to be in either the torsos or the legs. I just, I want a rocket punch now, though. I had Decker and a Shadowhawk. It was completely destroyed. Decker survived. <laughs> Uh, he will die eventually. He he always I put, dies. I put Medusa in a Jenner for a mission and he died, but Decker's been fine. And that, that mission, I even had Decker in the spider like, hey, guys, shoot me. They're like, no, Medusa must die. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had my guy in the blackjack. Okay. Which I don't think I'll be using anymore because I don't really like it. And now I have the other black, options. Yeah, the blackjack's really... And it's like, it's not terrible for what it can do, but at the same time, it's not Just, great. It never seems like it's effective. It's got a lot of guns and it seems like none of them do anything. That's because two of them are AC2s. Yeah, that's a little on the light side because like when I did that mission, I'd gotten enough to, I think I ran two or three heavy mechs. No, it was two heavy mechs, a trebuchet and a uh, shadowhawk. I got a trebuchet now and that's what I think I'm going to be using instead of the blackjack. I got it from that map, but I couldn't tell, am I playing this wrong? Is... What I have just light that I just get really unlucky because, like I said, one of my guys died from one shot. That didn't help. And then, like I said, Decker, Decker pretty much just got destroyed. But I, he was running and using full evasion. I'm like, he can take a few shots and every one of them hit him. <laughs> and then uh, my guy got knocked down and torn apart. And so it was just the Vindicator like, I'm going to jump over to the target and destroy it. And the turrets took apart all the enemy mechs while I was doing that and i had considered selling all my stuff to buy a dragon because i could have afforded it if i sold everything except for the mechs i was using yeah I good call that was, not to do that yeah i decided not to but i was like should i have a heavy for this so like i said that's two missions in a row that i'm just kind of eh on the, the last the reason why i had those is because i was spending a lot of time just doing the side missions without doing the actual campaign without thinking about it too hard like I wasn't intentionally trying to farm them to make myself the most overpowered lance on the planet. I just had already happened to do that. And like I said, the reason I went straight for the story mission is because I feel like I don't have a goal. Like, what's the point of doing a side mission? Like, it's kind of fun. But a story mission will also be kind of fun and will advance me. And I'm not really clear if I need to advance story missions to get better mechs or if I keep just doing contract missions, it'll... I know, like, does it unlock better mechs um, for purchase or whatever? The skulls are usually what it's going to be, but if, like, the more story missions you do, from what I've been able to discern from talking to people about it, um, the more story missions basically means that the, the difficulty ratings kind of slide. That's so the more of them, like. you, the more of them that you complete, the more the, like, side missions improve in difficulty and give more rewards and whatnot. And, like, just getting money or salvage doesn't really interest me, and that's the rewards from doing side missions. Uh, also, I was a little annoyed, just, this is just a mechanic of the game. When you start, you have a loan that you have to pay the interest off of, and that's, like, your main cost. And, like, a major part of the story is a character buys that loan for you, but then you just get it replaced with a ship 
maintenance cost, which is identical to the loan. <laughs> is it identical? It's actually 10,000 higher, but it's practically the same. It might as well be the same. And that really annoyed me because I was doing these story missions with the goal of, oh, then I won't have this loan. Uh, but now I just have an equal cost that's just got a different <laughs> name on it. And that's a minor thing. But again, that was the goal I was going for. And it felt like it got taken away from me. So I'm not really sure what I should or can be working towards. And that's frustrating, even though the moment to moment gameplay is pretty fun. But again, like I said, I don't feel like I have enough information to make good choices. And so it a little bit feels like, ah, hope this works. Hey, he exploded. Good. Did XCOM ever feel that esoteric or did they do a better job like giving you information? They give you front? much more information. It's also a simpler combat system. Yeah, because a sectoid has three health. Once it's run out of three health, it's dead. When you're looking at a battle mech, that thing might have 200 HP on any given location, but it's only threatening as long as it has its left torso. Yeah, and I know this hit percentage means I have this chance to hit, and it does this damage. So I know when I'm taking risks what those risks are and what the trade-off is. Whereas in Battletech, I'm not even sure, is this a risk or is this perfectly safe? <laughs> like, is this the best option I could be make, or is this the best decision I could be like, making here? I've like, never had that point you get in tactical games, like the one we played this week, or like XCOM, where I'm like, I want to do this. If it doesn't work, I'm screwed. But if it succeeds, then I save the mission. I've never been in a position where I felt I had enough information to make that choice. I had one of those, but again, that's why I was curious to know Jeremy's opinion on this, because I already know Battletech. I know how all these systems work together to begin with. So, like... I know what the mechanics are. I know what the hit, the evasion thing works. They did change that a little bit because in the tabletop, your evasion doesn't go down the more you get shot at. But a new player doesn't know all this. They don't know the different like locations in the armor and all that kind of stuff. And, and that stuff I only know because I know you. Like Also, I feel like I am very advantaged to a person playing Battletech because they don't even tell you, hey, different locations have different hit points. I'd believe that. I just didn't remember whether... Cause I mean, to be fair to the writers and all that, the intention was that this game was going to be a skirmish mode. The campaign and all that stuff was a stretch goal. Yeah, but also they've put so much into it. It feels like it was what they always wanted to me. It feels <coughs> like the design doc had all that stuff. And then it got stripped out because they were going for a Kickstarter budget and they didn't think they could afford all of it. And then suddenly they could afford all of it anyway. Yeah, I'm just saying that's that's what it was. But I mean, like I said, I still really like the game. It is not perfect and apparently it's a lot more unfriendly to people who aren't familiar with battletech it definitely seems like a game that was already made for battletech enthusiasts yeah though, like, right? well like, given uh, that it was a kickstarter back a kickstarter thing it was made for the people who were kickstarting it and then whoever else happened to want to buy it the game i find myself oddly comparing it to is dragon ball fighters the dragon ball fighter huh. story is completely unfriendly to a person who's not coming in for dragon ball z but the core fighting game is good enough that like you can make it but a you don't really care <laughs> on the game itself. And I think Battletech is too, but it doesn't teach you how to play it. But that's also true of most fighting games. I'm just much more familiar with how fighting games work. And I don't really want to sit through a couple hours of Battletech tutorials the way I'm willing to for fighting game characters. Yeah, I mean, I played the beta, so I already had a pretty good idea of how most of the mechanics were going to work in the actual game. So I had that going for me. Well, not to mention it's a pretty faithful recreation of Battletech, right? It, so. To me, it feels a lot like I'm playing a game of Battletech. Yeah, my recommendation would be like, if you're a Battletech fan, you should absolutely play this, but I can't imagine you are and haven't. 
That's a pretty good if way you're of aware it. of it. So, <laughs> although if us talking about it or me gushing about it has made listeners want to play, I mean, it. certainly if you listen to this podcast, I can't imagine you haven't heard it. Yeah, well, I was gonna say if people have played it and they're getting confused or something like that, put it in the Discord. I'll answer any questions anybody wants to ask about it. So now that we're at the thirty-minute mark, anything else, Zach? Yes, I actually there was a say like a thing that popped up for sales on Steam when I loaded it, and one of them said Dungeons Three, the Dungeons franchise is on sale, and I'm like. I have never heard of this. I have heard of it occasionally. So I looked at it and was like, Dungeons 3. I read the description. Okay, this sounds kind of interesting. How much is it? Oh, the the third game specifically is $12. I pay more than that for a McDonald's dinner. Let's find out what this is. I love this game. It is so much fun. What is it? You play like a great evil dungeon dude, kind of like Dungeon Keeper as I understand it. But the other title for this game could have easily been References the Game. Okay, fair. Okay, I think I've heard of this, actually. So it's kind of like uh, you set up traps and stuff. You, and yeah, you can set up traps and hire, like, orcs and whatnot. But, like, the very first level, you take over this dark elf chick who's been, like, kind of being trained to be a good person by her adoptive father. I think his name's Talion. But, and one of, like, the first things she does is start blowing everything up in this town. And her, like, fireballs do 9,001 damage. Oh, that's pretty good. The thing that made me laugh, one of the things that made me laugh was that that first town you blow up is called Twistrum. It's a Diablo reference. Like, one of the early towns in the Diablo franchise is Tristram. Oh, okay. And, uh, like, his dwarven buddy who really hates her and is, like, your first um, big boss opponent is named Grimly. Son of Groin. You order, like, stuff dug out and you build rooms for, like, your orcs to sleep and eat and drink beer or like so you have orcs undead or horde i guess undead and demons and you have to build specific rooms for each one of them you research stuff and then when you're done with all of like when you're done that sometimes heroes will invade your dungeon attack that's where the traps kind of come in some of them are triggered manually so you actually have to click on them for them to to activate and some of them you don't so are you the dungeon you are the absolute evil you are the great absolute evil you're saron Yes. Okay. In this dark elf who has a split personality as a result of you uh, possessing her in the first level is like your great minion. She's the leader of your orcish armies on this other island. The reason why you are physically not there to begin with is because all of your ships kept sinking when you tried to get across the ocean. <laughs> the narrator's really funny too. Like he's an actual character. Him and your uh, dark elf actually talk to each other. And uh, so I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. The levels are starting to take a bit longer, but at the same time, I'm okay with that because it's kind of a strategy game. When you when you get all your orcs and stuff, you actually can send them out of the dungeon, and that's where like a tactical aspect comes in because you actually have to command them to move around and attack specific things. And it doesn't get to like a huge scale. I think the maximum amount of people you can have through research is like 20. And generally speaking, you need to make sure you have a bed and enough food for all of them or else they go on strike. I know. So talking about how to lay out the dungeon traps, I think I talked about it on the podcast before, but I was reading the slime dungeon for a while, uh, which is a story about a guy who gets killed and then reincarnated as a literal dungeon. And he like partners with a fairy to make himself a slime dungeon. And like, I don't know, there's like a weird economy in this world where people like raid dungeons and they're like, this dungeons be rain. The problem is there's like too much MMO in it. I'm like, they're out. Yeah, I don't, I don't like isekai, so <laughs> isekai is the genre of people uh, dying and get reincarnating as fantasy games. Or just things. being pulled into another universe. Or yeah. pulled into All, another it's world. almost always MMOs, though. Yeah, It my, is now. That's like the big thing. MMOs are everywhere. My problem with it mostly is that the writing was just really bad. Most of them are. Yeah. Not all of them, but most of them. I mean, Konosuba's 
pretty watchable. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, there's a, a very, very slightly different version of Jeremy in a parallel universe <laughs> that is exactly the same, but likes Konosuba. And there's like one difference somewhere in the backtrack, but it was it's having a Super version. Nintendo as a child. <laughs> that would be a huge difference. Anything else, Zach? I mean, the only other thing that I really did of any kind of note was uh, that Food War. I watched all of Food Wars. That was like my Hero Academia, where I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to watch an episode of this. A couple hours later, I have run out of this. I think I might like Food Wars. And I guess Dragon Ball Dokkan Battle had a really, really good oh, yeah, the New, New Year banner. banner. And guaranteed so did Fake Go. Yeah, the, there was a guaranteed LR banner on, on Dokkan nice. Battle. Who do you pull? I pulled both Beerus, which will turn into Beerus and Whis, and Super Saiyan 3 Goku. Because like it started with get the guaranteed EZA character, then a super leader. No, that yeah, then a super leader, then a villain leader, then a, villain then leader, a category then a, leader, and then a guaranteed LR. So like it totaled out at like 200 stones. I think I did the math on that. But you got like especially for if you were playing a new new account or something like that, that starts you off fantastic. Yeah, no kidding. But I mean, that I already have an account. <laughs> well, I mean, you actually kind of don't. But. <laughs> I mean, you haven't played in so long that that would have been. <laughs> Still really good. What have you been playing, though, Tyler? I've been playing The Adventures of Lesbian Murder Hobo, which is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I don't know. It's a really fun game. I lose a surprising amount of time to that game when I'm playing. I'm like, okay, I'll just pick up a mission or two. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I just destabilized all of Greece. Um, that, And now it's four in the morning. That's so- kind of how it was with when I was playing Dungeons earlier this week. Because I'm like, okay, I've only played a couple of missions. It's nine o'clock. When did that happen? So I've retooled my entire kit to just be all assassin all the time because that's how you should play this game. I really feel it's an assassin. I, I feel as though with that game, there's supposed to be Leonidas boot in there somewhere too. Like you're supposed to kick people off bridges sometimes. Well, yeah, well, you so. can, you can. That's like the first ability you can unlock is Leonidas's boot because you already have a spear, so you might as well attach the boot to it. I, I guess as a result of this, I found a like really good heavy weapon that is really good at assassin damage for some reason. Um, and I have found I really don't like playing heavy weapons in this game. So I run daggers as my I'm actually fighting things. And then weirdly, when I get into a one on one scenario, I'm like, all right, time to pull out the glaive. Uh, so the daggers are definitely better for group fighting, obviously. Yeah, not the pole arm. Yeah, not the pole arm. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot more to say about this game that I haven't already said. Like, it's fun. It's, I don't know. It's a good game, even if it's not a great Assassin's Creed game. The plot is really stupid, though. Guys, it's so stupid. <laughs> You know, isn't that a good thing that it's not a great Assassin's Creed game? You say that, like, I want, like, really, I just want the Predator mode from Batman over and over and over again. I mean, Batman has that for you. It's got challenges. Yeah, it does. Yeah, the problem is I completed all of them in Arkham (laughs) City, so. Like, I basically just want that sort of scenario while also wandering around Greece. Like, my one biggest complaint with this game, honestly, is that I understand they want to, like, preserve historical accuracy and stuff, so I can't really blame them for this, but, like, the landscape feels really homogenous, but it that's accurate because it's Greece. Greece is kind of homogenous. Is it also because there's not enough stuff to climb? Because I know that was a major complaint in Assassin's Creed Native American. No, I don't a- remember which number three. it was. Was that three? Okay. There's a fair amount of stuff to climb. Uh, when you get into cities, there's, like, plenty of stuff to, like, clamber around on, and you can climb that. Ma- Like, you can climb literally any surface in this game, pretty much. Like, if there is something that looks like it might be a handhold, you can run up to it and grab it as a handhold, and it will 99% of the time be something you can climb. The only time I've found something is, like, it's a weird-shaped boulder, and she, like, tries to run up and then doesn't quite get a handhold, so I move slightly to the left and try it there, and that usually works. So, like, usually once you're on a wall, you can move around it as though you're on, like, netting or something, which is not super realistic, but it allows you to get around the giant, giant world. I've explored 
approximately a quarter of this map after I don't even know how long I've dumped into this game, like 40 hours. So, so how much of Greece is actually represented? Pretty much all of Greece. It's like all of the Grecian islands, pretty much. Um, and you can almost, almost exit the Mediterranean through the Straits of Gibraltar. Like, that's where the map ends on the West End. So Cool. Yeah, no, it's big. I don't know, there's just so much content in this game. I actually, I just got to my favorite side quest. So I, I keep calling it, or keep mentioning that uh, like all the love interests are female, and I am playing a female character. I'm not sure if this is different if you're playing a male character and all the love interests are male. I Probably doubt not. <laughs> I actually think it is. That would be um, pretty great. I'm not going to lie. I just don't think so. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I don't know. And it's possible I just haven't met the proper other characters. Like All the important characters in this game have been female. Um, and I have not met any important male characters who aren't the antagonist, basically. So, oh, I forgot about Marcos. That's right. Um, I hope he's dead. That's not a nice thing to say. Marcos about someone. is a terrible, terrible person. Um, <laughs> I hope Phoebe is alive, though. I hope she is thriving and doing well. Okay, actually, one of my favorite choices in this game. So the game starts off saying, like, there are decisions that you will make in this game that will have long-reaching ramifications throughout the game. I'm like, yeah, I've played video games before. A lot of video games like to try to make that claim. So there's a thing you can do really early on, and this is one of many choices that actually have downstream ramifications, where there is a plague spreading around at like an isolated corner of the island you live on. And like one of your like protege's friends is in that village. And you go to that village and you find like your protege's friend's family is the only one alive. And there's like a priest there and he's like getting ready to summarily execute them. And he's like, they're plague infected. We can't let them spread to the rest of the island. Or they're like, we're not even that sick. Look at us. We're fine. We're the only ones who are still alive. Clearly, we're fine. The gods have blessed us. And you walk up into the scenario and you can choose either side with the priest and kill them to prevent this plague from spreading or play the nice guy and say like, you know, you're probably fine. Don't worry about it. Go on your way and then kill the priest to prevent him from doing the same to them. I, of course, was like, no, Cassandra is the type of person who would like try to help them out. And then so you save them and they're like, Oh, thanks. Unfortunately, like, our entire village burnt down uh, because everything caught, caught on fire while trying to, like, burn out the plague. So I decided to continue to be a nice guy, give them five monies to get on the... I think it's a drachme, is the money of ancient Greece. So I gave them, like, five monies and said, okay, be on your way, like, you know, try to, like, make a new life for yourselves. You go off main questing and gallivanting, and eventually... It comes back to you that the entire island has been decimated by plague because you let these people wander around and like all your old friends are dead and like, oh no, it's fantastic. So like things like that keep happening where like if you choose to kill this guy, like a bunch of things that would have been done by this guy don't happen and like this entire city falls apart and so, oh no, it's it's pretty cool they, that they actually worked some of that in as opposed to just being like, five minutes later, you either get this piece of armor or these boots. Uh. Anything else, Tyler? I think that's largely been it. Um, I kind of forgot that I have Pokemon Blue on my phone, so I haven't been playing it very much. Oh, not that anyone but me cares, but I converted another person to playing Identity with me, uh, which if you remember from the days of yours, basically Dead by Daylight, but on your phone. And they released a new season event where you can like form team things and like do some sort of team challenge. I haven't actually seen what the heck it is. It's steampunk inspired, I guess. But as part of this, they actually released like a ranking mode for people who play characters. So you can see how you compare to other people who play that same character a lot. I'm for the my preferred hunter. I'm apparently the number 25 ranked hunter in the world. So... Yeah, which is weird because, like, I don't feel like I even play him that much, so maybe a lot of people don't play this game very frequently. I don't know. Um, it apparently won Game of the Year for mobile game in Japan and South Korea last year, or I guess for 2018. 
So, hey guys, it's a fun game. You should play with me sometime. Or don't. It will... That's not going to happen. Yeah, no. I, I know 100% that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but I can dream. A man can dream. Mostly because if I wanted to play a game like that, I'd just get everybody together to play Dead by Daylight. Yeah, it has the advantage of, like, it's on your phone, so you can just do it wherever and whenever. Um, so, like, occasionally during lunch, I'll just, like, play a game of Identity and then get back to work. So, I think that's it. I feel like there's been something else. Oh, Smash, obviously. Nothing really to say about that. It's Smash. It so. is. I don't know. I, I feel like I need to get people online to play more frequently. Yeah, I have but. not been very diligent about that. I play with my brother when he's like, you want to play Smash? I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I just haven't had a whole lot of free time in the evenings for the past week, but I think that's clearing up for at least a couple weeks now. So, Well, I am off at four tomorrow, but also I might be asleep. We'll see. <laughs> that's legit. We'll see how sleep goes tonight. <laughs> I still want to play Overcooked, but... Yeah, Overcooked is also very fun. Like, my one complaint with Overcooked 2 is, like, it feels like basically the same game, but that's not necessarily bad. Because the first one was pretty good, so. And this one we can actually play all online together. Oh, you know what? We we uh we talk, we played the Ruby board game, but we're at forty five minutes. So yeah, it, it's it's kind of fun. It's pretty Recommend. good. I would too. Yeah, it's uh surprisingly like I saw all the different pieces that were set up. I'm like, yep, I'm gonna be into this game, and then I was into that game. So it's a fun and, game. And this is being recommended by two of the four people on this family of podcasts that don't like Ruby. So yeah, and a third one who does. All right, I think, right, I think, so that, I think that's all the stuff we've done. <laughs> 50 minutes in, and we may actually talk about the game now. Someone should ask me what I've been playing first. What have you been playing? Oh, I, I thought you. I thought it was pretty much covered in... Yeah, it's Battletech and Smash Bros. And a little bit of Let's Go Pikachu, but I got to that Saffron dungeon and was like, oh man, this is slightly worse than 3D. The Celadon dungeon? No, the Saffron one, where you're a Slifko. Yeah, I don't remember there being a dungeon. Well, I guess well, the Silfco itself is kind of the dungeon, yeah, huh? that's what okay. I was talking about. Alex just did the Game Corner dungeon, like, last night. So. I actually really like the cute bit in there where you gotta use your Pokemon, too. Like, you know, it you, sneaks through a vent or yeah. something? Jeremy, you calling it the Saffron dungeon made me just think of, like, this garden that's all full of Saffron. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was just, like, a pile of Saffron in the corner of, like, a cave. It does absolutely sound like we're an anime antagonist would challenge you to a fight. But that leads us to our assignment this week, which is Fire Emblem The Sacred Stones, the second Fire Emblem game available in North America for the Game Boy Advanced. I forgot how we do this podcast. <laughs> um, I was going to be like, Kevin, what did you think of this one? I'm like, nope, that's the other podcast <laughs> I do. So, subtle hint to check out, uh, what is it, Jumpstart Weekly? Yeah, yep. yeah, check um, out Jumpstart Weekly. We're going to be off this week. <laughs> <laughs> there was no Shannon Jump this week. What? No, this next week. There isn't one. But that oh, will be why the, not? this episode comes out. Uh, New Year. Oh, okay. They just like take a break. They or take something. a couple of weeks off every year. Okay. Two of them were like almost back to back this year. So this one uses a lot of the assets from Reckon Ken. Yeah, a lot of um, character models, a lot of attack animations. So you start off with Erica and her Marcus, whose name I can't remember. Ephraim? That's her brother. Oh, oh, you mean the guy who goes with her? I think it's Seth. Yeah, that's it. That's why I couldn't remember it. His name is generic. His, his name is normal. So, like, you start with her and Seth, and you're looking to, like, get out of your country because it's not being invaded. Yeah, the Dragon Balls. Every <laughs> kingdom has one of the sacred Dragon Balls, and they protect it, and it causes peace. But then the southern kingdom suddenly decides they want to be evil. It's a surprise to everyone because they were pretty cool dudes. And then they just decided they wanted all the Dragon Balls, so they invade, and they promote some new assholes to general. They're like, you three new assholes. We got three, like, kind of noble Vegeta fighter type guys. We need three assholes on our team in order to <laughs> be evil more properly. Now go kill this little girl. So a lot of the mechanics from the first Fire Emblem carry over 
in the same fashion. Like, swords still beat axes, axes still beat lances, lances beat swords. I was going to say, the first Fire Emblem we played for the podcast. I have no idea how the first Fire Emblem actually played. Like I said, a lot of the stuff got carried over, but one of the major aspects that they decided to change, at least with regards to their, um, like, combat system was the addition of the, like, giant spiders and zombies and stuff. They play a major part in the actual story of the game because, like, without these mystic dragon balls, I think they're actually called the sacred stones, but dragon balls is more fun. Monsters can appear and, like, the undead can start attacking everybody and whatnot. And they do. And they do. That's actually... I don't know if now's the time to rush run into that. That's actually something that they changed in this game, is that you can, like, grind against monsters in this game, which is not something you could do in the first one. You kind of could with the Colosseums. That's true. Um, but that was a high-risk scenario, because you couldn't just stop Colosseum fights, nor could you really see what you were up against. So it was a big risk if you wanted to level grind, and you could also only do it on the levels that had Colosseums. Yeah, you, so you had to make the choice, I'm going to grind at the Colosseum on this level. And you couldn't, um, you couldn't take time in between levels in order to grind at the Colosseum, which you can do that here. This game has a map. If you've played Fire Emblem Awakening, it takes a lot of mechanics yeah. from this, but greatly improves on them. But this isn't about Awakening. You have a world map that looks like a Water of the Rings map with kind of a Super Mario little circles for you to go for levels. And sometimes enemies will show up on old levels and you can go grind against them, which is an addition I don't really like to Fire Emblem, especially at this point, because it's just a standard JRPG tax of you can go grind if you're having trouble. But for a tactical game, I don't think that's as good. Later on, they add more JRPG mechanics with abilities and stuff and class loops that make this work a lot better. But here it's just like, hey, if you're having trouble, don't worry. Just play this game for 100 hours and you'll be (laughs) overleveled and fine. I mean, part of the reason why they did this, I think, is because they condensed a lot of their story because they actually have two story splits. Yeah, we should talk about that. At a certain point, you get the chance to either continue along with Erica or follow the group of her brother, which I think was inspired by the added Hector story in the previous game that sort of served as a hard mode with replayability. But here it just cuts the game kind of in half in a weird way. Yeah, so you have all the um, the grind locations, and as we have jokingly referred to it, the grind tower, which can actually get a lot of resources and stuff, and it can actually be fairly useful, especially to get, like, master seals and whatnot to promote characters. But instead of actually having, like, that full 30-stage story like they had in uh, Reckon Ken, which, I mean, honestly, you could get yourself into trouble in Reckon Ken if you weren't careful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... That's kind of the fun, I think, but... Yeah, it's part of the fun of the game, and, like, yes, you can grind so everybody can have a chance at it, but include that, but also make the campaign or the actual story more fun. Because on top of that, because you've you split the story, you've also taken one of the major characters away from the player, because, like, if I'm playing Erica's story, I don't have Epraham there with me. Like, he's just off doing something else, and it's not nearly as interesting as having both of them there. I mean, they do come back together at some point, so there's, it's like a, I don't know, like a fish. I'm trying to think of how to describe that I shape, think that has but... a name, but I can't remember, where it splits and then comes back <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, the diverging and reconverging. But at the same time, that's not as interesting from a baseline standpoint. Like, one of the reasons why Reckon Ken really works out, in my personal opinion, is because throughout all the story progression points, you have Lynn, Hector, and Ellawood constantly commenting on all of them like it's not just one of them i also think the cast is just a lot more interesting in that game reckon okay yeah like even some of the minor characters like Urk and raven like i feel like they have more going on like the level where you get raven you kind of find out about his sister and he's also got this friar friend 
and like there's all these pre-existing relationships. Irk and Sarah show up together and they have a relationship. Whereas here, very few of the characters felt like they did. There's the girl that knows Erica that you rescue. But other than that, most of them. Just you didn't felt- get the mercenary, did you? No. So there's actually a mercenary. In the level you get the mercenary and the first like promoted character, which is a sniper. There's a Myrmidon on that level who actually works for the mercenary who's helping you. And like the contracts got mixed up. So if you have him talk to her. So that's like a pre-established relationship there. Like I said, in the, the small company there. But most of the other characters, like, I don't... That's one. That's, that's one. And I don't really care to find out about the first Myrmidon you get, which is that red-haired guy. Carl. Is his name Carl? I don't think his name's Carl. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's like, I think it might be Jared. Carl is from Wreck-It No Ken. He's the one you can get if you're doing poorly in the game later okay, on. I think I got him once. But I don't really want to know, especially because, like, when you first are introduced to Guy, they show you Guy and he's... You know, he's like, I'm only taking this job because I'm really hungry and this sucks. I hate this. But this guy is just like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm wandering around Ooh, cl- that flipping my coin. Cute. I should uh, team up with her. Well, it's like, I'm going to do this. But no, nah, I'm, I'm going to two-face this, but then decide not to actually follow through with what the coin said. It's like, it's not nearly as interesting, especially because, like I said, the cast is split. So I don't know how I would actually feel if I had all of these characters with me, especially when you have, like, the father and son axe wielders. But even then, it's just like, I don't know. I also don't think the level design is as good in this one. In particular, I got stuck on this level with Fog, and I always kind of wondered why Fog disappeared from Fire Emblem when it's such a big mechanic in the first one that we got here. But here it's really clear to me, because all Fog really does is hide information from you, Yep. which just makes it harder to make your choices, and it's not fun. I think it's worth noting that in Reckon Ken, the few levels that you have that have Fog on them, always have choke points yes and this one doesn't have any kind of like choke points and they're basically sitting there with a timer because there's giant spiders which are not like you know the usual mmo giant spiders where they're like maybe knee high still scary but not that big but they're like freaking the size of like large elephants yeah these are that's terrifying shelob yes thank you i was um, gonna say shebop they're but I'm bigger, like, that's not right they're bigger than shelob but instead of having the choke points in order to deal with the fact that I can't see what's coming, but I can put the guys that can really, you know, handle this problem in the way, it's just like, I hope I have a formation that's not going to let them get around to the vulnerable characters. And you don't actually know until you've failed a couple of times. I also think choke points are very important to Fire Emblem. Like, it's a super simple strategy to just stick a tank in a choke point and put someone behind him. But I think that's actually what's fun about Fire Emblem is doing that and then watching people die on your spear (laughs) and feeling like you did a good job in choosing your formation. Yes, it's very simple, but Fire Emblem's never been an overly difficult game. It's just a game where you occasionally have to take a big risk, but for the most part, you get that done. And again, I don't think the levels are very well designed in this one to allow for that. No, I would definitely agree with that with the few that I've played. I mean, actually, I think a lot of that might have gone into the Tower of Grind because there's a couple of them in there that actually seem to work out pretty well when it comes to that kind of thing. But a lot of the story missions, I'm just sitting there going, why is this even, why is this like this? And usually one of the last levels is like a big open field to kind of test you on that. But even there, there's usually some bridges and just some wide choke points. So and usually in those cases, there's not fog. So you can see what's coming. So you can see how to orient yourself. So it's like, okay, and Reckon okay, you can have it where it's like, Okay, I want to put my really squishy characters behind everybody, but I'm going to have to put somebody on the outside. So I'm going to put Hector, Oswin, and Guy along this line. And then I'm going to have a couple of like lighter characters along behind them in case somebody goes around. Also, there are very few new ideas in this game. There's the grinding and the map stuff, which we talked about. There are two others. 
Uh, one of them is there are characters that are kind of a class before the basic ones that promote into the basic ones. So if you use them, they will in theory be stronger because they've had 10 extra levels before everyone else. But that's already kind of the fun of Fire Emblem is raising up weak characters into strong ones. So giving you ones that are even weaker doesn't really <laughs> enhance that. And according to the research that I, I did on those characters, because I was curious to what they were, apparently they're not even stronger than most of the ones that you get to start. So it's just extra work for not really any additional reward. They also offered you choices when you promote a character between two different classes, which is something that's a couple of Fire Emblems do. I think and that's a little bit better, but at a certain point, Fire Emblem classes start being samey. And when you introduce too many branches <laughs> like here, a few of them feel like there's not really a choice. It's just, do I want to look like that or that? I, I think that's actually the biggest. I mean, it, later on down the line, it becomes a bigger thing because they start doing more and more interesting things with their classes and diversifying them a lot more. Once you add um, skills and Path of Radiance, this becomes a much more interesting choice. But as it is now, there's not a lot to differentiate two different spear users. Yeah, it's just I think this is a big step for Fire Emblem, even though it would, at least as far as I know, go away for the, the game, the GameCube and Wii Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn and come back in Awakening. I believe there was a game previous to these that used some of these mechanics as well. I'm like I said, I'm not familiar with them. I'm just saying that it does go away for those games. Um, because those are just straight up. You don't need any kind of like item to level people up. It's just when you hit 20, you your character automatically. automatically levels up with another level. I think it's another level. So they basically, once they hit level 21, they automatically promote. But the being able to pick two classes, especially when later they get more interesting, like in Awakening, you can have somebody become an assassin or is it a rogue or is it called something Yeah, it's else? called rogue is the other one. And like one has swords and bows and the other one has swords and staves. So, like, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Do you make him into, like, a pseudo-off healer or an assassin with, you know, additional ranged attacks and the potential to instant-gib somebody? So I mean, It sounds like, just listening to you guys talking about this, they actually took some ideas from this game and used them later in way better ways. Yes, well, all around. <laughs> I don't think all the ideas are really bad. I They're just, just executed poorly, right? Well, I think that, on, a, on the whole, like, one of the reasons why the, the field works so well in, like, Awakening is because it's got a coherent narrative. You go one way the entire game. You don't get split off from your your interesting characters at just at the beginning. It's like, okay, well, now you don't get these characters. And also that game adds in like demotions and reasons why you want to loop through classes. So grinding is a lot more rewarding because there are goals. And this is the second Fire Emblem game with a world map. So it probably did have an influence on Awakening, which is the third. But like you said, a lot of the ideas here are used better later. This one just feels like a worse version of Reckon No Ken to me, despite having some new ideas. Yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of agree with Jeremy on that one. Like, I do like this game. I like Fire Emblem, and this is Fire Emblem. But like looking at it, it's one of those situations where it's like, if I have the option... Why don't I just play If or Awakening or Reckon Ken? How far did you get in the last Fire Emblem game we played, Tyler? Um, I think it was like two or three missions from the end. Yeah, Didn't you got you, Jafar, right? You had just yeah. gotten Jafar. And how far did you get in this one? Not nearly that far. <laughs> um, I think I was only like another two levels past you. So. Yeah, and I only got the level five in this one. And all three of us, when we came, said I wanted to play this game more, but I didn't. And I think that speaks volumes about this one compared to I think Zach and I beat the other one when we played it for the podcast. And you got very close to that, having being it your first Fire Emblem game. I think you might have been four. I think you might have been four or five levels shy, Tyler, because I think you also still had to do the level to get the fell contract. Because if you get both Jafar and Nino, it triggers a side mission to get the fell contract. 
Which gotcha. lets you promote Matthew to an assassin. Or, or the golf if you're using him for some reason. And I think I might have gotten that mission as an option. I might have even started it. That might have been where I ended. But Yeah, I'm just saying that that's the that's that comes up. And then there's like two or there's like four or five. And although one of them isn't really a mission, it's like loading up. Yeah. It's, if you get that. It's go to the store. <laughs> it, it is <laughs> a shopping trip. It is a side mission, so I think there's actually something you have to trigger to get it, but I don't remember. But it's what pretty it was. easy, if I recall correctly. I don't think there are any enemies on it. No. Well, there is a Coliseum, so you can choose the fight. I meant the condition to get it is pretty oh. nice. There's the Coliseum, and if you have triggered the appropriate um like flags, I guess, there is the final swordmaster that will appear on that level and attack one of your characters. Yes. Well, that's how you get her. It's like it's it involves Bartra and promoting him and something or other. I don't know exactly how it works, because why am I using Bartra? Because I have Hector. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this? I feel like my final thoughts were that note about how we didn't really play it. It's still Fire Emblem. It's still not bad. It's a lot more in the respect of this has much better predecessors and much better successors. So while I don't think it's a horrible game, if you're really, really into Fire Emblem, get Reckon Ken. <laughs> One point I did want to make, like, the character portrait art looks very similar to Reckon Oken, but everyone, like, most of the characters are, like, looking off to the side or something, so when you have conversations, like, it's awkward because no one's looking at each other, so. Well, it is running on, the, I think it's on the same engine as Reckon Oken, so that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but, like, Reckon Oken, at least, like, the characters are, like, looking straight ahead so that if you put the two portraits right next to each other, it looks like they're looking at each other. And this, like, people are, like, looking off to the side or, like... Anything else we want to say or should we get to ranking it? I don't think I have anything else. So we have a list on our website, lastpodcast.com, ranking all the games we've played from best to worst. At the top is Chrono Trigger, a game with very interesting characters who will look at each other. <laughs> at the bottom is City Connection, a game without character portraits. And in the middle well, is... Well, no, you say that. There is a character portrait in that game of the guy who drives the car. Uh, in the middle is Harvest Moon, which has okay character portraits for a Super NES game. We should start with the previous Fire Emblem, which is at lucky number 13 right now. I don't think it's as good as that, though. No. no. Like, the general consensus is, like, I mean, it's a Fire Emblem game. It's not bad. It's definitely not as good as Reckonoken, though. Okay, so there are plenty of RPGs if I go lower. Actually, a uh, similar game by same company. How do we think it compares to Advance Wars? Because I don't think it's actually as huh. good as Advance Wars either. I prefer it to Advance Wars, but I think that's more of a personal preference. Yeah, I'm a little split on this because I feel like Advance Wars got kind of grindy and samey towards the end. Um, on the other hand, this game... I definitely played more feel... Advance Wars than I played. But you can pick to grind in this, whereas Advance Wars just kind of wore me down, if I'm honest. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what my feel... But this game also kind of wore me down. It just... It didn't really... In like, a different way? Like that, It didn't really wear me down. I just ended up doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Mainly Battletech exists. And... I don't know. I think at the end of the day, I'm going to have to side with Zach on this. I think I prefer Fire Emblem, if not substantially. Okay, so a little A up from that, we have Ogre Battle 64, a person of lordly caliber. A game I know Zach isn't going to uh, <laughs> say is worse than this one. Zach, they're very similar. They do a lot of the same things. They do. I think six, Ogre Battle 64 is more interesting. The class system, I think, is more complex and more interesting. The alignment yeah. and class and... I think you're probably right. I think Ogre Battle 64 has, like, there's a lot of flaws in Ogre Battle 64, don't get me wrong. But I think you're right. I think it's doing a lot more stuff and trying to be interesting, whereas, and a lot more of it's working, whereas it's not really here. So the midpoint between Ogre Battle 64 and Advance Wars is Metal Slug X. The, the, the working one? Yeah. Um, I prefer Metal Slug X, just, like, hands down. 
I would agree with that. Yeah, Metal Slug X is a lot of fun, I gotta say. So our final question becomes, is this better or worse than Castlevania Rondo of Blood? Uh-huh, that's I a would definitely point. rather play Rondo of Blood. I played a lot more Rondo of Blood when we were playing it. I think that's a super important game in the legacy of Castlevania. Arguably, it's not. It's just that the game after it is, and it's kind of similar to that. But I definitely would uh, throw in for Rondo of Blood. Personally, I'd prefer to play Fire Emblem, but that's... I don't know if I want to say that's because Fire Emblem is inherently a better game or that I don't like the 2D stuff for Castlevania in the first place. But I'd say Fire Emblem, for me at least. You're the deciding vote, Tyler. Better or worse than Rondo of Blood? Yeah, and I only didn't answer immediately just so that Zach could like <laughs> s- uh, state a dissenting opinion, but no, definitely Rondo of Blood. Um, <laughs> so Fire Emblem Sacred Stones goes higher than I was expecting at number 40. Above Advance Wars and below Castlevania Rondo of Blood. And I don't know what's going to break up in Advance Wars. <laughs> now, now that we have two grid-based tactics By RPGs the same developer. Right next to each other. Yeah. Well, you weren't sure what was going to break up the Mega Man, blo- Mega Man block and yep. something broke that. But I figured something would. I just didn't know what. Whereas these... Yeah, they're they're pretty similar in my head. How long before we get to Awakening? Oh, wait, no. Would awa- no Awakening's <laughs> not going between those, buddy. Awakening <laughs> is better than uh, Reckon No Ken. Awakening is top 11 material at the very worst. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with you. My Game Boy, or my 3DS is a is a Awakening 3DS. <laughs> All right, so speaking of Awakening 3DSs, Tyler, what are we going to play next week? Uh, so I was looking around at the game's... Uh, available through the Nintendo online service. I'm not even sure what they call this application. Is it the freebie service or the... Yeah, the freebie service, um, as opposed to like the store. There are lots and lots of games on the store. I don't even want to dig through that mess. But since we all have Switches, and I think we all have the online service, right? I don't yet, but I... Well, I mean like the, the pay a month thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have that. I just haven't really used it. Yeah, but along with that, you get a bunch of, like, random NES games. Unfortunately, we played most of them for the podcast already, so there's not a whole lot there. But I found The Adventures of Lolo on there, which is a game I've wanted to play for a while. Um, It's a Hell Labs character, um, which eventually becomes a Kirby boss later, which is mostly why I'm interested in it. And I don't know, it's like a puzzle platformer of some sort. I don't actually know a whole lot about it, but... It's got a cool blue guy as the main character. All right, so next time on Last Time, if I were green, I would die. That can't be the first time I've used that. This has been a last podcast production, copyright 2019.